Researchers from the University of Namibia and the University of Oxford have teamed up to develop an introductory course on astronomy and astrotourism. And I'm speaking today to Dr. Hannah Dalglish, uh, Waltrud Fritscher, and Dr. Michael Bakes to find out more. Hello, everyone. Hello, David. Hi. Dr. Dalglish, could you perhaps start us off by just explaining the course a little? Uh, what will it entail? How will it be presented? What will it cost and, and who should attend? Yeah, <clears throat> so this is a five-week course, and essentially each week there will be a one-and-a-half-hour session, and that will happen on Zoom, and it's entirely for free. So we're opening it up for anyone to take part, but the idea of the course is that we're especially interested in sharing this information with tour guides in Namibia. So we're going to be including lots of things related to astronomy and astrotourism. So there'll be an introduction to astronomy. There will also be a week on what actual astronomy and astrophysics research there is going on in Namibia and other countries like South Africa. Um, then the third week, we'll be looking at astronomy and sustainable development and what is astrotourism. Tourism, how does that fit into sustainable development? Um, the fourth week, we'll be looking at stargazing and some in indigenous astronomy from Namibia. And the final week is looking at light pollution and the effects that light pollution has on people and on wildlife. You mentioned the word a couple of times there. What exactly is astrotourism? So astrotourism essentially is any tourism related to astronomy. So it can be people going to visit a planetarium, people going to visit a telescope, people going to visit um, the Hober meteorite, which is the largest meteorite in the world. But it can also be activities during the nighttime. So actually going to an area which is dark, where there's little light pollution and looking at the stars and, and enjoying that and, and learning about what you're seeing in the night sky. Ms. Richard, from the perspective of someone in the tourism industry, is, is there a market for this? Yes, there certainly is. And you know that tourists go for the wow. And Namibia has a meteorite that is there, but there's no impact area that can be shown on the one hand. On the other hand, we have down south in the desert, a crater where a meteor, meteor um, must have landed, but it's gone. So this already is something that no other country can boast with as far as I know. But then also going out into the night, you see the stars. It makes part of a very unique natural experience. And then if you really want to go close, you go to the astral farms. There is a huge market for that. You just look at farms like Hakos, which cater mainly, I won't say only, but mainly for astral tourists. And if one can build such a network and provide the expertise, we can certainly build on it. I have a friend who comes once a year for the other parties in Germany and Chile, and he comes especially for stargazing. You mentioned some of the farms and you mentioned people coming. I assume then this is something that companies in the industry are already offering as, as part of their packages to tourists. Just let Michael give them the details of the farms I know about, um, especially on Yala, which has a big telescope, Hakos, which has a whole set with an observatory, Roysan has an observatory, there's Tivoli, there's Kiripote, Namib. Nature Reserve down there. Michael, can you add, please? Um, I, I, I would think of the same as, as you just mentioned, Wally. But let me come into the question a little closer. Well, what, what, what we see or what we, from, from our uh, perspective between the universities of Namibia and Oxford, have noticed is that these farms mainly cater for very 
specialized tourists who come in particularly for that purpose only, which is a very niche market. And uh, we thought, well, the Namibian night skies are such a tourist attraction or such 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 an experience for to to, to a broader or why uh, we want to to try to broaden the uh, the possibilities in the industry. So the idea, uh, Dr. Douglas said earlier, was you know getting tour guides involved in this and and presumably get some of the the, com- the companies themselves, the tour operators, to start being able to offer tour guides that have a lot more knowledge about the night skies and about astronomy. Yes, that's the one thing. What I can add is also once of experiences like being in Bentuk, you don't know what you do tonight. You want to have an extra stargazing evening, and you go to the Kunohofmeister Observatory, or you go down Gumsberg anyway and you can as well tune in at Hess and look at those marvelous big telescopes there. So it need not only be for groups, for um, specific people coming, but also for the day-to-day tourists. And you know that before um, Corona came, maybe I had over um, a million tourists coming a year. So if we can offer more and have more experts, this will certainly boost the image of our country. Dr. Doglish, to get back to you, we've got the Nama brand nature reserve in the south of the country. That operates as an international dark sky reserve. You, you were speaking earlier about light pollution. Can you tell us a bit more about what this means to be an international dark sky reserve? So these dark sky reserves are accredited by an organization called the International Dark Sky Association. And so places around the world that have large areas of, of dark skies can essentially make an application to this organization to have their area kind of formally protected and show that the community there is working actively hard to educate people about light pollution and to keep the skies dark to preserve them and so the Namib brand, they are actually the, this is the first dark sky reserve in Africa to have this accreditation, which is a great thing for Namibia. And also it's really great for tourism. So tourists may recognize this sort of accreditation and, and look for places around the world that they want to go to in order to see the best and, and the really dark skies, um, that are, that are essentially pristine, um, and not impacted by light pollution. Speaking of light pollution, I was actually just thinking about it. I drive to work in the dark every morning and then and there's more and more security lights, you know, shining off into the felt. And I mean, I can understand why people are doing it, but it, it also seems a little bit sort of sad. What are the impacts of light pollution? So the the worst thing about light pollution now is that we have all these white LEDs and because they're quite cheap and cost effective, people are using them more and more. But also the light that that is given off by these white LEDs is essentially it, it interferes with our circadian rhythms. So essentially the the way that humans and nature and, and animals have evolved is to kind of evolve with the day and the nighttime. But now if we're shining these lights it's completely kind of messing up with our circadian rhythms and that has impacts on our health 
So for humans, for example, it makes it harder to sleep. It um, affects kind of the hormones in your body that are regulated by this rhythm of the day and the night. So it can have all sorts of mental and physical impacts and also can kind of interfere with entire ecosystems because animals and not use these bright lights in the middle of the night as well. I'd assume being the the, the second least uh, densely populated country on the planet that, I mean, apart from the cities, we don't really have too much of a problem. You were talking about animals and wildlife. You know, the fact that we've got so many open areas that aren't populated, that obviously then plays in the animals' favor. Sure. Yeah. I think one of the other main things as well, especially in cities, is that insects and are, for example, really attracted to the lights. And then that makes them sort of very easy prey for other animals, an imbalance in the entire sort of ecosystem of things. So it's not just, say, the bigger animals, but it's it's everything that is affected. Ms. Fritchie, you were, you were talking, listing a lot of places with, with telescopes and that already take advantage. I'd assume those places need to have unlight polluted skies. But just to touch on Nama brand and it being the first in Africa, do you know of any other places that are planning to, to get registered as well? There's, surely there are a lot of places in Namibia that could get accreditation as, as a dark sky reserve. I posed that question to Dr. Buckus and Dr. Zaldish. I'm, I'm personally not aware of other places um, who are trying to be accredited. Well, the challenge, as you say, for, for, for places in Namibia is not so much on being dark because most of our country being sparsely populated is easily very dark. But for the accreditation, you actually need to have proper monitoring in place to sort of prove that you are keeping the place dark as well. And even if, well, you, you also need to showcase that you want to have tourists there to some to some extent, right? So, but also in in, in the um, context of that, you need to showcase that you have the system in place which makes sure that you only use minimal lighting, that all your lighting you use is shielded to upwards, so that the light only comes up there where it's uh, where it's really needed and not shines into the sky. And so the the monitoring bit and the the um, yeah, literally the reporting on the monitoring is the more difficult part for most parts of, of the country. I'd like to break away from astrotourism just for a second, because I know you're involved. Namibia currently hosts the HES telescope system, uh, and I believe the Kamsberg Mountain is going to, in the near future, host the 15-meter single-dish Africa millimeter telescope. What other astronomical observances are there in the country? Uh, you know, Is there anything else planned for the future? And, and if anything, then what's holding us back? We're talking about these dark skies and, and that we've got this possibility to contribute more to this exciting field of science. What's What's stopping us? Those are quite a few questions. Let me try to uh, <laughs> to answer them one by one. Well, well, certainly, as you say, maybe a host has telescopes, which are not just some telescopes, but literally the world-leading telescopes in their field in gamma ray astronomy. This is something that can, can't, can't be um, can't be underlined enough, I would say. But they have been operating there for more than fifty years, fifteen years by now, very successfully. On the on the very same site, sort of a supporting instrument to has there is. Uh, 75 centimeter optical monitoring telescope by the name of Atom is also on the same side, but by other um, researchers, the so-called HAT-South telescope, which is searching for exoplanets, so planets in solar systems others than ourselves, uh, than our solar system. Then there is, well, not uh, affected by, by light pollution, 
um, a neutron monitor in, uh, I think, SUMAP, uh, which is investigating uh, the activity of our sun, which is operated by the Northwest University Potrofstrom campus. And there's um, certainly worth mentioning the International Amateur Observatory, which is at two stations on the Mount Gamsberg and on the Farm Harkers, but not so much in the um, professional sphere, but sort of at the interface between professional and amateur astronomers. You were asking for future plans. Well, there was, and I hope many people are aware, the plan to have the successor to the HES telescopes, the so-called Cherenkov Telescope Array, or short CTA here in Namibia, whereas there was a political decision in the end to make it go to the European Southern Observatory, which is based in Chile, despite our proposal of the site in Namibia was scientifically ranked first uh, globally. Then you already mentioned the African Millimeter Telescope that we are planning to build on Mount Gamsberg together, uh, also with international colleagues. That is Besides the context of the millimeter wave astronomy, also planned to work as Namibian station in the what is called Africa VLBI network, um, or short AVN of radio telescopes. And this AVN, or the concept of the ADM, is, AVN is under a multi-governmental agreement um, and meant to be a predecessor for the second phase of the square kilometer array. Square kilometer array, or short SKA, shall consist of thousands of radio telescopes hosted mainly in South Africa, but also in eight further partner countries in Africa, including Namibia. And this uh, SKA is, well, in its in its second phase extension, so to say, is literally the largest astronomy project globally. And the AVN shall be a predecessor, particularly in terms of building the human capital to also operate these telescopes locally in the African partner countries. Still, you were asking what, what what's holding us back, right? So, so what, what, what you just mentioned, what we talked about, the dark skies and so forth, is what I would call, and not, not just me personally, uh, would call geographical advantage. And I personally like to quote the former Minister of uh, Research and Technology in South Africa, Naledi Pandor, when she visited Windhoek a few years back. She said, well, African countries must do the best to make use of the geographical advantage that they already have. And astronomy is one of the fields where world-leading research can be done from African soil because of this geographical advantage, which is particularly here in Namibia. Still, astronomy as a basic science always faces the, I would say, anticipated problem of limited direct applicability. Well, astronomy research results are nothing which translates into uh, a few months into everyday applications. So that doesn't make it easier to convince governments to spend taxpayers' money on it. That is not just a problem in Namibia, but certainly also a problem here locally. Anyways, if it weren't for funding of astronomy that happened in the past, we would neither enjoy that satnavs um, nor Wi-Fi today, because both of them are uh, developments which came out of the pure basic science research in astronomy. Dr. Douglas, the University of Oxford's involvement in, in this training, is that one step towards increased involvement in the country and teaming up with the University of Namibia more, uh, you know, with Dr. Buckus and, and his colleagues? Yes, absolutely. So I think there has been 
quite a long relationship with the UK and Namibia, not just through HESS, the HESS telescope, but also through other projects. Like there's another one called DARA, where essentially researchers from the UK and from Oxford are going to Namibia to deliver training to students that uh, have backgrounds in sort of physics and engineering to learn more about astronomy and radio astronomy in particular. So therefore, yeah, this definitely is helping to even deepen the connections further and kind of some funding that we got from the UK through which was awarded to Oxford and and the University of Namibia has allowed kind of this activity to take place to as well and in the future we're still yeah looking at other ways we can get more funding to have more collaboration and more projects I think there's a new scheme called the Turing scheme where students from the UK can come and visit Namibia and get some more hands-on experience and just have more of that cultural and knowledge exchange between the two countries so yes there's kind of lots of exciting things going on. To, to wrap it up then Dr Buckers I know you're also a member of the executive committee of the Namibia Scientific Society they're providing support for putting on the course that, that, we, that we've been speaking about or that we spoke about in the beginning. Can you tell us where people can get more information about the course and about the society in, in general? Well, yes. The Namibia Scientific Society as, as NPO uh, and truly Namibia Members Association for the last 96 years already understands itself as a platform for providing scientific fact-based information to the Namibian people. We do that through events like evening lectures, excursions, scientific journal that we regularly publish or, or also books that we publish like recently the first Namibian reptile guide or the uh, autobiography of uh, Honorable Dr. Kalumbi Shangula quite recently. As particularly evening lectures are highly affected by the current COVID pandemic as you can imagine this course is a highly welcomed resource that we were very happy to support. More information about the Namibia Scientific Society you can find on our website nemscience.com or just find us on Facebook as Namibia Scientific Society and our astronomy section is Astronomy at Namibia Scientific Society also on Facebook. You will also find both there as well as at the following link more information about this course we were talking about as well as the registration form under darkskytourism.com slash AAA, um, which stands for Astronomy and Astrotourism. Richard, I know you're involved with the Scientific Society as well, but speaking as someone who's involved in the tourism industry, would you like to motivate the tour guides why they should definitely sign up? Yes, certainly so, because every tour guide will be out in the evening somewhere and the campfire is burning and there's not much going off because people seek our pristine, empty space and and then you look up and you say, well, what do we see there? And the guide should be able to say, well, this is this constellation. And if you look that at that one, you know where east is and west is. And basic, basic things. It's nothing as bad as when the tour guide says, oh, I don't know. And I've been a tour guide and there are so many apps. I can be very honest. Um, you do your homework and you know what's up in the sky now. But then occasionally you forgot what this name is or so. And you tell the guide you'll be back in a minute and you walk around your bus and you just take your app and you go back and say, yeah, this is this and this and this. And it's so much fun. And then if you are on a safari and every evening you can look at the same sky, but see the movements, you get an understanding of how 
amazing this southern sky actually is. When you ask about the guides, how many have already signed up? Can you give us figures, Hannah? Yes, so we have about 600 people have signed up so far, and we've got space for about 400 more. So definitely lots of space for lots more people to take part. And because the advantage of doing it online is that anyone can do it, whether or not they are from Namibia, we also have a lot of people who are interested to learn more about Namibia. So they're taking part from other places in the world as well. And yeah, so yeah, Namibia just has one of the best resources in the world and, and it doesn't cost anything to use it, right? You don't need any infrastructure to look at the stars. So it's just such a, an amazing opportunity and, and where people are coming from, say, lots of tourists from the Northern Hemisphere. They live in places where there is so much light pollution, you can maybe only see five or six stars in the sky. And people in Namibia find that quite hard to understand. Like, how can you not see the stars? So it's, yeah, really make the use of what you have and and celebrate that. And um, there's so much to learn when it comes to astronomy in the night sky. Thank you all so much for taking the time to speak to us. And I'm pretty sure you're not going to struggle to get those other 400 people to fill the course up. Thank Thank you, you, David. Thank Thank you, David.